0: Well, this is uh, the week of 4th of July. And I hope all of you all have fun traditions and good plans uh, ready. One of my traditions for the past 10 years or so on the morning of 4th of July is that I like to go downtown and run the Bluegrass 10,000. I always see a bunch of you there. Sherry and Terry Simmons, you all are always there waving to us. Uh, But it is a fun time and I always look forward to this. It's one of Lexington's finest moments. Uh, This year, God willing, I will not be the only member of my family who runs 6.2 miles on Thursday. I am officially putting my 17-year-old daughter on notice. I have paid her fees. Uh, She has promised to run this with me. She's never run more than three miles, uh, but she has committed to running this on Thursday, regardless of how hot it is. She knows I'm telling this story. She was here at the first service. Here's the issue with Sarah. Sarah's great. Sarah's the most extroverted person I've ever met in my life. If there is a group of people having fun somewhere, Sarah intends to be right in the middle of it. So if half of Lexington is downtown running a race, there's no way she's not going to be right in the middle of the race. She loves it. There's only one problem about this scenario, and you can probably imagine. Sarah doesn't like to run. She doesn't like to exercise. That's just not her deal. She likes running clothes. She likes running shoes that match her running clothes. She likes Instagram before and after she runs. But she has no desire to become a runner. The sweat, the pain, the tears, no thanks at all. Again, my hope for her is that we have a good time, and I'm sure that we will. Will she ever become a runner? I doubt it, but she might. If you think about it, as we look at our passage this morning... If you want to be a runner or if you want to be anything that requires maturity, you have to really desire what you're becoming. You have to love the work that is in place inside of you in the process of becoming what it is that you desire to become. You see, in our passage this morning in First Thessalonians chapter two, we see that the Apostle Paul, and you can even just sense his words as he's writing, as we read, is that he's excited. Because there's a group of people, a group of Christians that he has ministered to. That he had to leave in the middle of the night because of the persecution. But he hears a report that they are doing well. And he is excited about that because he now realizes they are excited about what they are becoming. They loved what God was doing inside of their life. So it raises the question for us this morning. And I pray that this will stir our hearts as we are followers of Jesus. Are you excited about the work Jesus is doing in your life? More importantly, are you excited about who Jesus is making you? Are you excited about the growth that comes in following Jesus? You see, whenever this happened in your life, God called you out of darkness. He spoke his word into your heart. And if you know Jesus now, that means that your heart has been changed, that you repented of your sins, that you put your faith in Christ, and you became a whole new person, and now His Spirit lives inside of you. When that happened, He began a new work inside of you. He began a work of making you all that you were supposed to be from creation, to make us whole. He's working to make us very different people. So now here we are. As followers of Jesus, falling more in love with him, and his ways are replacing our ways. He's making us holy and he is chipping away at all of those things which persist in harming us. And now Paul is talking about these new believers. And why is he so excited? He's excited because of their response to the gospel. Paul now knows that their faith is real. It's genuine. It's not fake. They have the real thing at work inside of them. They want what God wants for them. There's proof. And you can see this with the celebration of that work. So my heart for us, my prayer for us, my proposition for us this morning is that we will be people who love what God is doing inside of us. So from our passage, two two quick points for us this morning. If we're going to love God's work inside of us, first... We'll embrace God's means of changing us. And secondly, we will embrace God's method of changing us. So notice his means and notice his method. First, look back at verse 13 and see the means at which God brings about the change in our lives. Let me read this again because it's so great. Verse 13. And We also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you had heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. I'm so glad this passage is here. It's so brutally honest about what happened to us in the past and what is going on inside of us now. You see, Paul's excited, not just that he heard things are going well. It's not that. It's he saw that a miracle had taken place inside the lives of these people. Now the reason for his heart being full was the discovery that these folks love that the word of God was preached to them. Ponder that for just a moment. Think about these people and what happened. When they accepted Paul's preaching and recognized that it actually wasn't his clever teaching... But rather, it was God's word from him. Rather, they were not tricked. They heard the words of God through a man. Do you see the miracle of what happened? If you think about this, you'll realize it's a completely supernatural work. If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, Paul was known for killing Christians. So here he shows up into their community. And he preaches a message. A message that tells these people that they are sinners and they need a Savior, teaching them that they need to repent of their personal sin, that the God who created the universe was the God who now loved them in the person of Jesus Christ. From this crazy man, they heard this crazy story and they believed it. He called them out of their sin into a relationship with God and they were converted. And by the preaching of God's word, they were called out of the children of Abraham, the promise all the way back for thousands of years. So you see this morning the power of God's word? Do you see the power of the testimony of what God alone can do when you read the Bible? You know, in the commentaries that I've studied this week on this passage, there seemed to be universal agreement that verse 13 is a wonderful text for us to understand the role of preaching. And that is of God's word being proclaimed. Paul also says in Romans chapter 10, he says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So that's why when you come to church at TCPC, I hope in our denomination that you'll always hear God's word preached. You won't just hear a clever argument, but rather we believe that God alone is the one can change hearts through the power of his word coupled with his spirit. See, no one is converted to Christ apart from the words of God. I hope that we all agree with this. The voice of a man The voice of a person proclaiming God's word at Jesus Christ's kingdom coming. But notice the second half of this verse. As great as the miracle is for conversion, there's more here than just that. Again, look at verse 13 and notice what happened in the past and what happened in the present with this spoken word. You see what Paul says and why he's encouraged at their faith. He says that this word is, quote, at work in you. That is presently. That is the gospel that converted you with this preached word is also the same gospel that is growing you today. Greek scholars understand that the phrase at work in you is translated essentially as to energize you. That is that your soul, our souls, from the preaching of God's word, the hearing of God's word, the memorizing of God's word, the reading of God's word, the teaching of God's word, our souls are energized by him. The word of God gives life to God's people. Now think back to this original audience and then we'll compare it to our own day. You see, these people were converted by Paul, but then Paul had to escape in the middle of the night because of persecution. So here they are. They're not young Christians. They're new in the faith. Their leader was gone. They were hurting. They didn't understand their future. They were upset about the sudden changes in their life. They're disappointed in their leaders. All the while, they're also being persecuted. And what does Paul do? He celebrates. He celebrates because he knows that their faith now is real it's strong their heart believes the word he knows that they now know that even if life does not make a lick of sense today that they're growing on the inside of the promises of God do you know what the words of Christ are doing inside of you this morning we know throughout Scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, for one place, says that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. You know what the word's doing? As it grows in us, our desires are being changed. Our desires for this world that cannot satisfy our soul are being replaced by the desires that come from Him and His kingdom. You know, I had us read Psalm 19 this morning. With David, but here again, some of the attributes of the Word of God in the life of the people of God. The psalmist says that the Word revives the soul, that the Word makes wise the simple, that the Word rejoices the heart, that the Word enlightens the eyes, and that the Word is to be desired more than gold, more than much gold. See, that's what God's word does for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, know this that the entirety of God's word is telling us about Jesus. From Genesis through Revelation, we get the message of Christ. So as we hear and read and meditate and memorize, we're falling more in love with a person. And Jesus is changing us all the while. Paul is happy. He knows that these people are on the right path. They want to be made different. So let me ask you, this morning, as we live in the same fallen world in which Paul ministered, how do you deal with your confusion? How do you deal with your disappointment? How do you deal with the anxiety over the fact that we don't know our futures? How do you deal with your fears? How do you deal with your need of comfort? let me suggest this to you, that Jesus Christ is on his throne in heaven, and he has given us his spirit. And when we read his word, when we are in his word, we are hearing from Jesus Christ himself. I believe this with everything inside of me, that the body of Jesus Christ has many parts, and there is nothing more important for us than to be part of a church where God's word is proclaimed where this is a place where we are saturated in Scripture. You know, last Sunday, Robert preached a very difficult sermon. If you were here, you know that it was not an easy week as he dealt with the abuse in our church and our church's history. But, you know, as he expounded upon God's Word, particularly I remember from Isaiah 1 as he highlighted that, that I left being reminded that, yes, Jesus has taken our sin, but he has also healed our wounds. You know, as Robert preached and we had the word read and taught and expounded to us, my soul was energized because we encountered Christ and he spoke to us. This past week, Robert and I both were at the PCA General Assembly. I'll share more about that. Later, It it, it was all good. Uh, But uh, as part of General Assembly, they they do uh, kind of ongoing uh, pastoral training seminars, that sort of thing. And and I went to one all about how life has changed through small groups. And I was really convicted by it because they they really do celebrate kind of what we do here with our parish groups. The folks getting together around a meal and discussing God's word from that morning. And praying on the word and chewing on the word and just wrestling with that. But here's what the teacher said. He said, will you love your people enough at church that not only will you host parish groups or small groups, but will you pray that they are desperately hungry for the word of God? And that's my hope this year with our small groups is that we would be people who recognize we are desperate and he gives us his word. That's my prayer for us. As you come and as you encounter Christ and you encounter His Word, know that He is at work and He is changing us. And that change is not always easy. This Jesus, whom you will encounter, you'll read in His Word to you to pray for your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to love those who hate you. And as you're changed, your life will be energized as you become more and more like Christ. Proof number one is that these people loved the word. The second thing I want us to notice here from Paul's words, not only did they love the word, but notice how Paul celebrated the method by which their lives were changed. The second proof, if you will, that God is at work in their life. And I warn you, this one's not easy. Look back at verses 14 through 16. And what you see here, and it's easy to read past this and think, oh, this just happened a long time ago, and not to think that it's still going on today. You see, the followers of Jesus Christ all over the world throughout history are given a mark. They're given an attribute. And that is that there is a part of our lives that includes suffering. And it's not because of bad luck, but rather it's because God has ordained it so. You see, Paul gets this report from Timothy. He hears that the church is doing well, that the word is alive, but he also finds out that they're struggling. And perhaps if you put yourself into their shoes, you would understand why they're struggling. Again, they're confused. They don't understand what's going on. And maybe they had hoped Paul would write them a letter and say, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Everything will, it'll blow over in just a matter of days. You'll be fine. Don't worry about the persecution. That's not what Paul says. It says it's almost as if he congratulates them, recognizing, oh, you're struggling, you're suffering, you're being persecuted. Praise God, because of your union with Jesus Christ, the afflictions of Christ are now your afflictions. That means you're with him, that means he's at work. He said that your faith means that you are now imitators of all of the other churches in Judea. To imitate means that you become like them. You see, for them and for us, until Christ returns, suffering is part of our lot. And it is because of God's great love for us. God sovereignly, mysteriously allowed things To draw out the need for the hunger of God's word. Paul's not disappointed by their issues. He's encouraged. He knew, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. He understood that their sufferings meant their faith was real. Again, I think the people probably had to wonder, is Paul serious? This is our lot? Did Paul really understand? it? of course, he did. But I think the same is true for us. And I need to be reminded of this as I read and studied this week. Do we recognize that when we imitate our Lord, we become like him as he was treated on this earth? You see, suffering is part of our calling. Scholars talk about two different types of suffering. One is a suffering of punishment. That's where you've done something wrong and the Lord will discipline you. That's not what this is about. This is what theologians would call redemptive suffering. And that is where God as a loving Father cares about us so much that He allows things in our life that are difficult to draw us closer to Him. You see, redemptive suffering produces repentance. Repentance. Redemptive suffering produces a heart of dependence upon him. Redemptive suffering moves us toward personal holiness. Redemptive suffering reminds us of the reward that someday will be ours in Christ. Redemptive suffering produces the ongoing reminder that Jesus Christ loves you so much he suffered for us. You see, in the midst of whatever suffering the Lord allows us to go through, it draws us to say, come Lord Jesus. And when that happens, we get more and more and more of him. Again, specifically for these folks, their issue was they were being persecuted. I don't know what your suffering is this morning, but I know you can easily think of ways in which you would love to see the Lord do something different in your life and he has not chosen to do so. Can you then in turn see that God loves you so much that's how committed to you he is? One of my heroes in the faith is a man named Joe Novenson. You may have heard of him. He is uh, the pastor at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I heard him preach a sermon one time Uh, about his own personal journey with Christ and the fact that he he deals with depression in a very significant way. And Joe Novenson has asked the Lord for year after year after year to take his depression from him. And God has not done that. And here's what he said in his sermon about this. He said, if God is sovereign and in control, and he is, and if God loves me desperately, and he does, And my depression continues. What that means is my depression is part of Christianity. It's part of my story of faith. It's what the Lord is doing in my life as he grows me more in Christ's likeness. As he's making me whole in him, he uses this. You see, the issues and the suffering that we have in this life reminds us of how short this life is. That God has a greater plan in store for us than what we can create now. Again, I don't know what that is for you, but I do know this. That Paul celebrated because God was at work in your heart and in your life. Can you see this morning that you are desperately loved by Christ? Can you see that? You know, I don't know if my daughter will ever be much of a runner. I don't see a lot of promises in that. She has not shared with me that she wants to be that. But what I do hope and I do pray for every one of us, that wherever we are in our journey, that we will love what we are becoming. We are followers of Jesus Christ and we will live with him for all of eternity. He is at work inside of you this morning. May we love his work inside of us. Amen. Now, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let me pray and ask that He will, in fact, minister to us through this means of grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we uh, come now to your table, as we come to this feast, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to remind us afresh of your greatness, of your love, your grace. Oh, Father, you are at work. Your word is living and active. Your promises are real. You are true. Your precepts are true. And whatever is going on in our life this morning, you are active. So Lord, as we come to this table, remind us of your great promises. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.